Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. There's an issue that's been making the hitting the press over the past, uh, well, not so much just recently, but over the, over an extended period of time about the fate of locally engaged employees in Afghanistan that had been employed by the Australian government to assist Australian forces and you know, the foreign embassies in that particular country. It's come to a crunch to Taliban uh, at getting a lot of ground, gaining ground in Afghanistan. Uh, Western forces are leaving the country and there's a grave concern for the safety uh, and security of those that have worked with Western governments, including Australia. I'm joined today by Glenn Kolowitz, who is the uh, lawyer and he works with GAP, uh, Veteran Legal Services, and it He's looking at a range of issues that rest on uh, the legal interpretation and how we get people out of Afghanistan, get them a visa. And, and as uh, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Howard said not so long ago, uh, fulfil a moral duty um, in helping those who've helped us. Uh, Glenn, thank you so much for talking with me today. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolute, absolute pleasure. Uh, look, what is the situation at the moment? What, what are we, what are we dealing with right now with respect to people who uh, worked for the Australian government and the defence forces? We have um, engaged, so we have on our books um, a number of. We have about one hundred and forty. Um, Afghan, uh, former Afghan security guards who uh, were guards or personal protection staff at the Australian Embassy in Kabul. Uh, and we also have 140, but up to 180, we understand. Um, and we also have uh, a number of interpreters and uh, other people who contracted to AusAid, for example, um, uh, around the country and back in, in the Ruzgan and Kandahar and uh, you know other provinces now. So we have um, almost two groups of Afghans and their families that we're um, we're trying to to um, consolidate and trying to uh, get uh, get clearances for and then get visas for to to bring them to Australia. Now, the, in a country like Afghanistan, that's presently uh, going through, if I can use a euphemism, some degree of upheaval. Mm. Uh, what are the challenges present for you as a, as a legal person, as a legal professional, in getting all of the information you need to be able to, to do the work that's required? Yeah, you're, uh, you're quite right, Tom, in, in saying uh, on the basis of the, the upheaval, the, uh, the resurgent Taliban and uh, the issues the country's facing right now and indeed increasingly facing on a daily basis, um, communications to date with our clients has been pretty good, um, as in email and telephone communications, but that, that does drop out. And um, we know that the power to uh, places like Tarrancott um, is, is quite intermittent. So we have you know, re reasonably, relatively good communications, but um, that, that's, that can be sporadic. Um, but it's also getting uh, the reams of paperwork off these people that the government has demanded as part of uh, what DFAT and Defence are calling the LEE programs, the locally engaged employee programs. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've, they've demanded 
a lot of paperwork um, uh, in order to firstly just clear these people to allow them to then apply for a visa. So there's a layer of bureaucracy imposed here in Australia, which is making it difficult and which is aggravating the difficulty in getting information out of Afghanistan. Uh, would it be reasonable, and I'm reflecting on this as you raise the, the question, is it reasonable to conclude, given that a lot of these people would have been subject to uh, rigorous security clearance processes in the past, mm. that some of the information relevant to the um, security yeah, clearances of these individuals may be somewhere in an Australian government department. Have you explored that at all? Look, we're getting um, a lot of our people have been rejected on two bases. And as you've quite correctly stated, one of those bases is um, the security clearance. Um, uh, so, you know, counterintelligence screening, essentially. Um, but as, again, as you've, as you've correctly stated, these people and um, both the interpreters and the security guards were rigorously, rigorously checked and security screened um, prior to gaining employment to work with us and at the embassy and with our, with our troops during employment and many up until con con consistently up until quite recently. So they've undergone very rigorous um, security screening and now they've been subjected to what we believe is a much um, uh, more vague uh, and uh, I would say unreliable screening process um, which is subsequently rejecting people on the basis of, um, of what I think are some pretty dubious um, uh, grounds of testing. So, um, look, I, I'm not I'm not impressed with the, these rejections on the basis of security clearances. I think that they, um, the government should is rightly saying we need to security clear people to come to Australia, and we don't refute that for a moment. We must, you know, we must uh, be uh, be robust in the way we security clear people coming to Australia, but. This process is not robust. It's it's um, very much uh, a it's almost a, um, a a presumption against until proven otherwise, which is disappointing. Uh, given that people had been previously, and, and yeah, I'd like to explore this just given that they've been previously screened, mm. um, the results of those security clearances would be documented yep. somewhere. Yep. Um, would it be unreasonable for me to expect for some of that documentation, if not all of that documentation at various points to work, have, been, have worked its way back to the central commentary position in Canberra, Canberra or am I fantasizing here? I think it's a, it would be a very reasonable expectation, um, and that makes perfect sense. But I don't believe that that's happened. <laughs> so I, I don't believe that ex, that very reasonable expectation has been has been met. I, I'm not convinced that government is either actively looking for for previous clearance material if they even still have it. So it's a very good point you raised, Tom. And um, I think they're relying on this this quite uh, uh, you know I guess uh, vulnerable screening process and ignoring whatever screening happened in the past, quite possibly because of an absence of any retained material. 
have you been and have you explored where the chain of custody is with the previous previous material? Because it would appear to be somewhat concerning that a whole bunch of people were cleared. They were put through a process. Mm. They had to qualify. Um, we take it as given that they qualify. Mm. Yep. Has have you got any clear view of what, where the chain of custody of those uh, records related to their security clearance stops? To be brutally frank, Tom, we to date we have had almost zero response from government, from DFAT um, or Defence, um, on the most fundamental communications, let alone something as, as complex as seeking um, uh, retained security material. So, so no, we haven't, because we're not even getting acknowledgement of our correspondence to say we're acting for these people, let alone seeking material like that. So it makes perfect sense that, uh, that we would want government to let us know if that material is available. But they're not even acknowledging the fact that we're helping these people at the moment. So it's a, it's a, it's quite a big ask to go looking for um, looking for that sort of you know prior screening material. Absolutely, we'd love to be looking for that. But the government, but these departments are ignoring us, and the ministers are ignoring us at the most fundamental level, let alone at a detailed level like that. Okay, now that establishes several issues that exist in terms of. Yeah, the records and why this process may be getting go, go, going through and also possibly a need for the Auditor General to look at the uh, conduct a performance audit mm. in relation mm. to uh, the maintenance of sensitive security records. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, yeah, this stuff is necessary. Now, you, you deal with the legal side of it. Now, leaving aside uh, the fact of um, the how these records need to be pieced together, what's the law that we uh, deal with when we're you know, looking at locally engaged employees in mm -hmm. overseas jurisdictions? How does it work? It's a really good question, and the um, the government has. As I've alluded to, there are essentially two steps in this process. A normal migration um, application, and I'm an immigration lawyer, and part of our practice is, is migration. So the normal normal process is one essentially one process. You apply for your visa, but the government have brought in this separate creature called the LEA program. Um, so it's Defence and DFAT operating their LEA programs, locally engaged employee programs, yep. to, to provide that first um, level of clearance. So to essentially accept or reject an applicant who, if they're accepted, they can then apply for a visa. If they're rejected, they can't apply for a visa. So an, an added layer of bureaucracy. And I've done that under a legislative instrument, um, which was brought in um, some years ago when they were bringing people out of um, out of Iraq, in fact, when we were, we were pulling out of Iraq. Um, so they're relying on this legislative instrument to, to impose this added layer of, of bureaucracy um, and make these people then uh, apply for a clearance. If they get the clearance, so if they if they get a yes from from um, uh, DFAT or Defence, depending on who they were contracted to, they can then apply for a visa. Now, 
some of the, the bases on which um, they can be rejected. And we've, we've touched on the, um, the security issue, but the main aspect of that, of that uh, legislative instrument is the nature of their employment while they were working for, um, for Australia. So as interpreters or AusAid contractors or security guards or others, right? So they, they're very much turning on a legalistic view a very legal, very legalistic view of the nature, the contractual nature of the employment. And that, that itself is a problem because we're seeing many people rejected um, based on that legislative instrument because the government's saying they weren't employees um, of Australia. That's that's essentially what the test that they're applying. And that's, that's uh, well, firstly, it's about to be subject of a legal challenge by us. So we're taking that up very shortly, but um, it's still a very disappointing way on which to... Uh, to outright reject a person from even applying for a visa. Now, what you you know the legal process better than some of us normal civilian types without law degrees. <laughs> um, how is the process going? time-wise i mean you're obviously colliding information that's one component and that can take yeah. that can take you know for forever and a day time can be as long as the piece of string but what is the what's the timeline in terms of getting things moving because the timeline in afghanistan is actually you know the speed of a bullet versus the speed of the australian bureaucracy that's right, right. How's this playing out at the moment from a legal process point of view? Look, I think um, you're absolutely on the money there, Tom. I think um, our bureaucrats sitting here in Canberra, um, at firstly at Defence and DFAT, so that first part of the part of the um, the, uh, the process, and then at immigration, uh, don't quite appreciate the compressed timeframes in Afghanistan. Um, <laughs> The, they've recently, the government recently um, have, took great pride in announcing they, they brought hundreds of Afghans into the country. I can't recall the number, but many of those people had um, applied for the clearance under the LEAP program, waited for a couple of years for that to be processed, then applied for their visa, waited for an inordinate amount of time to get that, uh, that approved before even getting here. So those very protracted timeframes in this, this convoluted process uh, are very inconsistent with the very compressed timeframes these people have to, uh, to essentially survive in Afghanistan. Well, what are the, look, what are the steps that have been taken to impress upon government the degree of urgency? Because it's one thing to engage in the legal process or mm -hmm. if you were looking for records to put a freedom of information request in mm -hmm. but those things have timelines that don't quite match the speed of a pickup truck across rocky terrain somewhere in afghanistan that's right and um we're writing letter after letter to ministers and um we're doing media because it appears that the letters aren't working, so we need to be able to communicate with our elected um, representatives um, and our ministers somehow. Um, and apparently, telephones and emails and uh, and letters don't don't seem to work. So we're communicating with them via the media. Um, 
you know, this, this is a challenge that we shouldn't be facing. It's a fight we shouldn't have to be taking up. And uh, the government has come back and said that they're giving priority to the visa processing. So immigration, they're giving priority to the, to the visa processing or home affairs, the visa processing. That's good. That's great. But it still doesn't fix the first part of the problem, the DFAT and defence, the delays with the DFAT and defence clearance process for that first phase. And I, I can't see them. They're not fixing that. Um, they're putting out requests for information to these Afghans, which are voluminous and require evidence, which is in, a, in what is a war zone and what is a, 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 a very disputed territory at the moment, um, requests for information for material that is, it's very difficult for these people to, to consolidate and then get into um, DFAT and defence. So that's what we're doing now. We're actually coming in and we're helping these people where we're telling DFAT and defence and Home Affairs, we're acting for these people, that correspondence comes to us, we will collate this information, we will make sure it's all good to go. So do, do an initial phase of vetting, then get that into DFAT and Defence, and then stay on their case until they process this stuff, until they do their job. So we're, we're, um, we're compressing the time frame by taking this up. Um, we're going through the material, we, we're, get, we're obtaining the material, getting it together quickly, getting it to Defence, and then badgering Defence and DFAT to do their job. Now, they shouldn't be doing this. DFAT, this Lee program is a failed program uh, by both DFAT and Defence. They should be letting us do it as we are doing it now anyway. And then once we have that material, we then say, we then say to them, here's the reason, basis why you should clear this person. We've obtained all of this. Now we're going to apply for a visa. We can help them expedite that first part of the process, which appears to be the big obstacle at the moment, the big delays. I believe Home Affairs would like to get on with this and process these visas quickly, but they need that first part of the, the process, that clearance process done first, and we're doing that and we're expediting that, and DFAT and Defence need to let us do that. How much of this um, sort of uh, inertia, for want of a better word, um, the, the first thing that comes up is something more colourful, as you'd understand, Glenn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for want of a better word, to, to, to pro procedural inertia is yeah. due to the fact that departments, um, from your perspective, it don't don't seem to talk to each other. I mean, if Home Affairs wants to do what you'd like them to do but they're waiting on two other departments. You know, how's this, why is this, a, this hold up existing? Why is it there? That's a really good point. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think they are communicating because of that, that bureaucratic nonsense, which is, which is what, I'll, what I'll call it. This is why an immigration practice, so an immigration lawyer specialising in this sort of area can fill that breach. They don't, there doesn't need to be that miscommunication and that, those bureaucratic delays between DFAT and Defence, so we'll, we'll grip them as one collective and Home Affairs on the other. We should be doing that first part and we should be filing these applications with Home Affairs. So um, we can help them break down that bureaucratic, those bureaucratic barriers by us doing what immigration lawyers and migration agents do. You know, this is not, it, that first part of this process should be arm's length from government. Yes, they can do their clearances, they can do their security checks, they can check the uh, material against the um, the uh, legislative instrument, but as can we, we can check that and we are checking that and we're going to great lengths to check that. 
So we should be able to say, okay, we've got all this material. Now we're, we've, we've ticked that box. Now we're filing with Home Affairs and we can help help DFAT and Defence with their security. We can get the material they need for the security vetting. We can make sure they're applying a proper security vetting process. All of the former army officers involved in this process, and you've spoken to a few of us, we all have some sort of counter-terrorism or intelligence background. You know, like uh, my last job in New South Wales Police was in counter-terrorism, and I taught um, intelligence management at Charles Sturt Uni, and I, I, I was in an intelligence unit in New South Wales Police. So I'm only one person in this group of people, and I have that background. We have another one of our guys who was a former army intelligence officer. We have, we've all been cleared to high levels at various stages over the years. We know this process. I suspect we know it better than the, the public servants working on it. Um, we, we don't want bad people coming to Australia. We don't want that happening. So when Peter Dutton says that we're out there trying to let everybody come to Australia, regardless of their security credentials, that's nonsense. We know better than anyone the risk posed by having the wrong people come to Australia. But we want to ensure that the right people can come to Australia. And these are these right people are the ones who have helped us and who have been cleared, and we can ensure they are currently cleared. You, you yourself have a, a background in defence, correct? That's correct, yeah. I, yeah. I did many years in um, regular and reserve service across a number of corps and a number of um, units, uh, including two rotations of the Special Operations Task Group in Afghanistan. So, you know, just like... Um, you know, some Stuart McCarthy and Jason Skeins. We've been on the ground in Afghanistan. We know, we know this space. Um, you speak passionately about this case, and obviously there's a bit of uh, uh, you. You clearly had a bit of skin in the game. How does it make you feel as a as a, as a former military man um, to see this going on as a process? It, to, to people that, you know, you, you probably even worked with at some point. Yeah. Look, um, we, I think you've heard this from a number of number of um, veterans and, and indeed, you know, our, our group, Forsaken Fighters and others, but Australians don't leave our mates behind. And the, I had, I had an interpreter when I was with Special Operations Task Group. He was an American, a US citizen, so um, a bit different circumstance to the, the current Afghans we're dealing with. But um, I got, he was a, a good mate and uh, we worked closely together. Um, all of these, all of our forces, um, all military forces, worked with interpreters and outside the wire particularly. And they got very, and I, I see this in the form of letters of support now from people right up the chain of command saying, I worked, I worked with this interpreter. He's a good guy. He helped us. He helped us do our job. He enabled us to do our job. He wore our uniform. He was out there outside the wire with us. Um, for a long time, longer than any one, one tour, um, you know, why is the government now abandoning these people, this person that I worked with? It's a, it's a real uh, matter of letting your mates down, and that, that itself is disappointing. And it's disappointing. It disappoints me as an Australian, not just as an Australian, former Australian soldier, but as an Australian. That's not how we operate. I don't think Maurice Payne quite realises that this is not how the Australian soldier operates. And we're seeing a lot of veterans now coming to us saying, what on earth is going on? What are these ministers doing? And, uh, you know, I, I come in here to, to GAP Legal Services, to the Migration Division, and I see uh, our team here um, under Doug Greeson, the head, of, the head of Migration here in Canberra, these people are working around the clock on this, day and night. 
trying to make this happen. So they're passionate about it. And so it's a, it's a veteran-owned operated business. So we're all, you know, mostly we've got all military, ex-military or police backgrounds. Yeah. Um, it's, it, I see a passion here amongst these people who are doing this. And I see a passion amongst military people who, uh, ex-military people who are seeing our, our mates being abandoned. And, 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 and yeah, just looking, look, as we speak, I can sense that it, it feels like a real kick in the guts. Oh, yeah, it is. And particularly when we're being ignored, uh, we, we've offered to help government do this. We've offered to help expedite this. We've given, working with um, with Stuart McCarthy, Jason Skeynes, Pat Ryan, um, yep. Dr. Kay Danes, yep. we've come up with solutions. We've come up with solutions and we've been putting these to government now um, for years. And the sorts of solutions we put the government are the solutions we're seeing the US government, the Biden administration now bringing into effect. You know, extracting Afghans who work for, for the US to a third country to process them there in relative safety away from Afghanistan, but also offshore from the United States, to places like the UAE. That's an option we've been putting the government for a long time. And it's an option that we could and should be have been exercising well before now, but we still can. Uh, I'm aware that some of the advocates talk to people on the ground. That's um, right. What are the, you know, the answer is probably clear and inevitable. When, we, but what are the what are the consequences that you see? You know, knowing knowing your your military background and and what you, what's happening now as well, what are the consequences uh, typically for people who've engaged with Western governments in in jurisdictions in the Middle East, particularly Afghanistan? Look, we know that these people um, are facing some some have faced direct threats already. It came, one of our um, one of our clients sent a um, copy of a night letter which he had taped to his door from the from you know the, the Taliban saying we are going to kill you um, and that's that's a fairly common occurrence these night letters and other threats a number of these people are calling us um, saying that they're moving from house to house um, they're in hiding they've had direct threats one of our guys had was previously shot uh, and then you know he survived but he was shot because of his work for um, coalition forces for for Australia for Australian forces um, so they, they we're not talking these people are situationally aware. They know the threats. They saw how the Taliban behaved when they were last in power. Um, they know the threats they're facing. They see them directly, and they know that there are indirect threats that they haven't that they haven't yet faced. So they're coming around the corner at them. They're worried. They're genuinely worried for their safety, um, and um, they're becoming increasingly desperate for our help. Glenn, that's probably a sobering note to, to start the process of uh, wrapping up the conversation. Uh, if anyone listening to this uh, wants to, to learn more about what your firm does, uh, where can they go and, and to learn a bit more about you and the crew at, at GAP Veteran Legal Services? Yeah, just look up um, GAP uh, Veteran and Legal Services um, and you'll see on there there's a number of divisions as a veteran division, a legal division, and the migration division. Um, so the website's pretty good. It has um, it has a, a good analysis of our of our team, um, and uh, quite frankly, there's contact details on there, email and telephone. And we're more than happy to work work uh, work through what we do uh, with with people. Let them know what we're 
out there doing, uh, doing not just for um, for our Afghan colleagues, but for veterans more broadly. Um, it's a it's a very demanding space, and uh, look, I think uh, we would appreciate people following up what we're doing because uh, the team here, if I can say, uh, are amazingly passionate about what we do. Glenn, thank you so much for taking me through what is a very complex and um, rather tense period at the current time for, for people involved in trying to get uh, Afghans that work with Australia and other Western countries out of what is a great, very deteriorating climate in Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Absolute pleasure.